1: Today, I'm joined by Nestor Solari, who is the CEO and co-founder at Sigos Seguros, who are an insurtech based down in Texas, providing insurance to the Spanish-speaking community in the United States. Welcome to the show, Nestor. First of all, just want to ask if I've if I've got all of that correct.
0: Yeah, you did you did great, Nick. So so CGO is is an insure tech focused on serving the, the native Spanish speaking community primarily in Texas today. Um really providing kind of more accessible uh, auto insurance and, and and trying to really take a close look at costs um for, for our customer and I'm sure we'll we'll get a chance to dive into more of that. But um I think you 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 hit most of the important details for sure.
1: Good stuff, good stuff. Well Nessa, I'd love to start off by asking you about your career first of all, that journey that led you to starting the business at sigo at, at there so yeah would you mind sharing our listeners a bit more about about your background and and, and that path for you
0: absolutely so Born and raised in in Northeast uh, New Jersey, uh, both my parents are Uruguayan immigrants. Grew up speaking Spanish in my in my household. Was fortunate enough to go to Penn State to study finance, and and that's kind of where I, I started, kind of getting interested in investing in, in Wall Street. And ended up going to Goldman Sachs in New York to do investment banking as as my first job, which was an incredible learning experience and and really opened up my eyes to to a, a lot of things. And was was great to work with some really smart people. Uh, and from there, moved into the kind of impact investing space, looking at growth equity investments in financial institutions. And so, with, with my skill set from banking, I was really looking to do something a little more fulfilling for myself. And, and it was great to, to be able to look at these financial institutions serving the, the global base of the pyramid, kind of the global working class, if you will. And I did that at two, two different funds one out in Connecticut it, called DWM Asset Management, another one out in Chicago called Creation Investments. Did that for the majority of my career before kind of stumbling into insurance on my way to business school. And so I decided to, to, to go to business school, um, was fortunate enough to get into the, the Wharton School, which is where, where I met my co-founder. But going into school, I also uh, stopped by my kind of family's house one day, my aunt helped for some help with her budget. And I started digging in and that's kind of when I started seeing all these extra insurance expenses. I started asking her questions and I had no idea how hard it was for some immigrants and working class people in the U S to access auto insurance. Cause for me, it was, it was a breeze, but I realized that it was cause I went to college. I uh, lived in a nice part of town. I was buying increased limits on a newer vehicle. Um, and it was much different than the policy that my aunt was buying at the time, despite the fact that she seemed like a great risk to me, right? As a single mom going to and from work every day, a job she's had for 25. Years she never misses a bill. Yet she she struggled to 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 find access to auto insurance. And, and I found that her her story wasn't that unique as I started digging more and more. And so that was kind of the inspiration for launching Seago. As soon as I got to business school, kind of started putting together the business plan. used use that as the proof of concept in all my classes. And when we graduated, along with my co-founder, we, we launched our, our agency. Started selling insurance over phone, and, and we kind of that was the that was the origins. Those were the origins of Seago. A really
1: purpose-driven business venture. Next, what is that challenge there? What? Why do people, Spanish-speaking community, next, why is there a, a problem seeking insurance? What's the issue there?
0: Yeah. So let's start with the challenges a lot of the working class community may have accessing auto insurance in, gen- in general in the U.S., right? And and when you look at the native Spanish-speaking population, it tends to skew towards immigrants and lower, lower wages and, and overlaps heavily with with kind of general working class in the U.S. And I think there's a couple of things that when you look at legacy insurance products in the U.S. that, that create challenges for people to access them. First, in, in the structure of the product, the things uh, like uses of credit score, education, employment, which although in a lot of states have... Proven to have some correlation, I think there's there's also some challenges to using those and using those as hard line ways to, to provide people access to auto insurance. It's very common in a community with low financial literacy that someone may access a credit card for a low balance and 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 ignore it and and all of a sudden now they have this credit score trailing them their their whole lives for for a couple hundred bucks and, and that doesn't seem really to align and when you look at a product that's mandated by the government in 49 states in Washington, D.C., right? And so I think that those are some of the challenges when you look at the structure of the product. I think on top of that, you have the added challenge for native Spanish speakers, people that grow up maybe along the coast of the U.S. that are U.S. citizens, including and also immigrants that that come to the U.S., that no insurer in the U.S. has any digital kind of infrastructure for native Spanish-speaking populations, despite the U.S. being the second largest Spanish-speaking country in the world, right? Uh, after Mexico. And, and so that was the thing that really kind of flipped a, a switch in, in our eyes for me and my co-founder was hey, we, we can we can put this together, not just a, a product in, in culture for a for customer, but, but also in language natively. And today sego is the only insurance company that can digitally onboard a native Spanish speaker in their in their native language. And so I, I think those are some of the challenges, right? And and you can start unpacking a lot of the other challenges with, with just um other types of redlining that, that are really kind of come up as, as a result of decades of policy and then and, and then also just other other challenges with the current models like the use of zip code for where you live but anyway don't i, I could i could i could talk about this for a while oh
1: separate podcast yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely absolutely well it's great it's great to hear the passion that you talk about the business so much and i'm, I'm sure we'll dive into some more detail as we as we go through today Nestor, as we are in the insurance coffee house today i know it's, it's it's mid-afternoon for me here i've got my mid-afternoon coffee you've got your morning coffee what's what's your go-to coffee of choice today
0: yeah today my late morning coffee i have a, a soy cappuccino from from starbucks is usually my go-to coffee when I'm looking for something warm, which is which is most. I'll, I'll throw in a, an iced coffee if it's if it's particularly warm. But uh, right. in the Northeast, we have some some pretty cool weather.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're not you're not on the hunt for an iced cappuccino today. Yeah. Uh, that's <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Great stuff. Great stuff. So Nesta, if you could start off by giving us a snapshot of where the business is at the moment. We sort of talked about that journey, which led to you starting the business. Where's the business now? Where where are you operating? What what are some of the services and products that you're providing there?
0: Yeah, yeah. So to give you some of the background of the evolution, right, we, we launched as a, as a telephone agency, which uh, when I say that it was me, again, me and my co-founder saw insurance over the phone with kind of a wholesaler that, that gave us access to a few yeah. markets. And, and from that, we, we built our agency in California and, and then launched our agency in, in Texas, all digitally, all online. As as digital as a brokerage can be, I think through that experience we also found the challenges of building a digital brokerage and and the integrations that that may or may not be available a lot of times. And so I, I think that compounded with our further understanding of the product and maybe some of the challenges in the structures of those products kind of uh, is what pushed us to launch our own product Um, because originally this has always been about access and, and, and kind of what our customer needs. And originally we thought, Hey, maybe we can serve our customer with just an agency, right? That's, that's kind of how, how it's done today. But after learning of those challenges and learning of the bigger opportunity to really create a better product for our customer, that's when we decided to launch our own product. And and we did that in August of last year uh, in Texas. So uh, minimum liability limits, auto insurance product, um, focus on really providing affordable accessible insurance and and working towards starting to remove some of that bias that a lot of the legacy products have so we don't use things like credit score we don't use employment we don't use education in terms of the rating of our product and so the the idea here is also to start proving out some of the some of the some of these actuarial kind of numbers behind this because i think one of the things that really Caught my eye when I first started digging into this business is when you look at the the insurers or, and the agencies serving the market today. Their loss ratios are much better than your kind of preferred and standard providers um, for for a bunch of different reasons. But but that seemed counterintuitive to me to me at that point that that a perceived higher risk customer was generating a lower loss ratio for for the the product. Um, and again, maybe a separate podcast as to why and how that happens, but but I think the that that kind of gave me the idea that hey, we can build a profitable s- mm. business that can scale and really change the face of access of auto insurance for tens of millions of people in
1: the US. Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, that's that's obviously a subject that I'd love to discuss with you further. Could you give us a little bit of a high level why why you think that is? Because clearly there's a there's a big opportunity there.
0: So taking a step back, just looking at loss ratios, right? And, and just building an, an insurance company to lower the loss ratio, build something more profitable um, in, in general terms. But the, the the loss ratios in in what's traditionally called non-standard auto, kind of another kind of term for, for high risk. And, and we think we're really pulling out the best risk out of out of that bucket. But when you look at that segment of the market, which is anywhere between 10 and 30% of the private passenger auto market. It's it's privately reported. So there's a lot of kind of, kind of varying numbers there. But when you look at that segment, their loss ratios versus your standard and preferred markets are lower. Now, why are your standard and preferred market loss ratios higher? they tend to be when you're looking at maybe a customer that has other assets to insure uh, insurance companies being comfortable using that as a loss leader kind of running 100% loss ratios or higher Um, given also the volume of that that becomes very interesting investment capital for a lot of these insurance companies um, and to start making on their spreads Um, but you really but they're really looking for kind of maybe more profitable products in homeowners Mm -hmm. etc. I I think when you look at the non-standard providers they're one often one product companies that are selling Auto insurance and need to do that profitably, and so I think when you look at that, there's the the kind of the the impact on how that impacts operations, right, and your management of profitability, which will just naturally lead to that 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 gap. But also, you have the the added effect a customer that may have higher churn, higher higher kind of. Um, rates of cancellation and non-payment for certain segments of the market. And and I think what that leads to is customers getting canceled and not having coverage in times that other other people may have coverage. And so you have these windows of uninsured customers that also kind of tends to mask maybe the frequency of, of accidents and, and claims at, at that level as well so so those are some of the things that that make the kind of those loss ratios kind of materially different when you look at the markets um, but ultimately i think there's there's the opportunity here to really provide a fully digital experience for a market that that's kind of a little different than than the other insurance companies and in that's it's highly kind of transactional almost and so there's there's an opportunity to really digitize and lower operational costs in in, in a way that's been done in most other insurance products, but kind of has been ignored in this corner of auto insurance that's serving immigrants and the working class largely.
1: Yeah, amazing. Amazing. That's incredible. And it it must have taken a lot of research and a lot of background work to really find that that was an an opportunity, a realistic commercial opportunity, and not just a a purpose-driven cause, you know, driven business, that there's some good commercials behind that as well to make it work. In terms of the benefits for the policyholders themselves, I mean, what, what would you say are the main benefits yeah. to them by accessing your insurance?
0: Yeah, and so I think particularly when we talk about kind of our, our target customer today that is looking at a Spanish streaming platform, where we're fully bilingual end-to-end, customers can onboard digitally, pay, receive proof of insurance in that moment in their in their native language. And I think that's kind of maybe on the, on the business side, maybe a lot of people may think, easily replicable. I think you'd be surprised that's a whole other issue with diversity in insurance um, and, and the and the existence of people that can build platforms the way our team has. But I think when the customer looks at it, they say, hey, I don't want to take time off work. I don't want to find a babysitter. Um, I don't want to pay some exorbitant down payment, which they don't Kind of, it's always unclear how much is a fee for the broker, how much is a fee for the MGA, how much is it, it's into premium. I think we've created something that's super transparent and super accessible from uh, our customers' phones. And, and I think that's that's something that's been made accessible with the kind of the, obviously the growing penetration of smartphones over yeah. the last decade, really more than anything. And then when you look at the, the product itself, I think the, the transparency, we're talking a product that's uh, what we quote you is what you're going to pay, there are no surprise fees. I think the customer really appreciates that. I think when we start looking at it on the company level, the fact that, we're built, that we've built this product that's underwriting without credit score, education, unemployment, I think we're starting to be able to build different types of correlations because we're the first one ones that have gone direct to consumer with our market. Today, over 90% of our target customer is buying through brick and mortar. And so you have information loss from point of sale through claim, right? And so carriers have all the data on the application and claim data, and then brokers have all the marketing and acquisition data and, and acquisition cost data. And then- it, that gets lost, right? And so what we've done is, is be able to connect that to the point where we're going to be able to understand our loss ratios by marketing channel in the in similar ways that, that maybe Geico and Progressive have been able to do for their customers. And, and I'd say that maybe the last big differentiator here is, is really the, the, the introduction of, of technology and automation in, in what's a really anachronistic kind of system still. Paper-based brick and mortar based, telephone based. I think what just the introduction of a newer policy admin system that we've been able to develop, just newer tools that help our agents and and our and our customers automate a lot of what they want to do. I think that's materially lowering our, our operating expenses in, in a way that makes us cheaper to the customer in, in a way that can't be replicated by by our our competitors.
1: Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. What would you say so far in the in the in the journey that you've taken so far? What has been the biggest challenge? Has it been you know providing the whole platform, you know, uh, translating or, or or providing it in, in Spanish? You, you mentioned there's some regulatory requirements r- around that. What what's been the biggest challenge to you so far?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, the the technology we've had to build was probably a lot more complex than I had anticipated. Um, when we're talking about our core system that's tracking our policies, the pricing on a lot of these policies starts to become surprisingly complex when you introduce a lot of changes and a lot of changes, future and past changes um that's common for for our, our, our segment of the market. And so I think that that's probably was was the biggest challenge, but with that said, I think we've we've been able to execute to the point where we're we're successfully onboarding dozens of, of customers easily and uh, technology really held up. I, I think now what we're looking at in the future is continuing to build that to the point where we're kind of fully automated and, and so th- that's that's probably the biggest challenge I've, I can I can really recognize other than that, it's been building and learning from our customer. I think everything we've done has been in response to what our customer tells us or what our experience with our customers. We we again we started with the five questions on a website and followed up on the phone, and so we got intimately familiar with what annoyed our customer, what was difficult to understand, what wasn't a problem for our customer, and and we were building in response to that. And and so I think there's that makes things a lot easier when you, when we can iterate really quickly as a small company in an early stage startup. Um, yeah and and look I, I mean I think building the product was was an it was the the insurance product itself and getting that approved was was an iterative exercise with several different parties um but I think that was that was something that we were really well served by the the experience of, of our team uh, in insurance and our advisors and our investors um I think all of that really helped us get get our product approved and 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 going
1: you, you talked there about the customer centricity that you have really building back from what the customer wants there do you think because you are targeting a a certain demographic a certain population of the market that that actually really helps you to really think about what they want what they need what they don't want what they're not interested in and really keep that focus as opposed to some other businesses who are obviously trying to appeal to everybody
0: uh, that's that's absolutely the case, and I mean I think when you look at the challenge with underwriting and successful underwriting, it really becomes about specialization and getting better at segmenting your target population. I think when you compare it to a startup, you also need to make sure you have a large enough market to to make the the type of growth that you want to achieve feasible. Right, we're we're talking about hitting exponential growth numbers, which early on it's it's easy, but obviously gets more difficult with time. But but I, I think that's maybe a little bit of the balance that you'd find in insurance. Because it's impossible to build an insurance product for everybody. They, that's not profitable. It's impo- you won't get to profitability. But I think better segmenting and 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 kind of building for a particular customer not only is going to help you do kind of make better underwriting decisions, but it's going to build a better product that's that can be lower cost and lower cost of acquisition that, that generates word of mouth amongst our customers. I, I think I think that's that's been a lot of the the insight here and. For now, I mean, given our acquisition costs and the scaling, of the, the, the the pace we've been scaling, I don't think we're
1: concerned about market size at all. No, fantastic. Fantastic. And Nesta brings nicely on to the espresso round now. Great. Where the questions are a bit shorter and straight to the point. So yeah, I know you've got your, you've got your coffee it. there already. You ready for the espresso round? Yeah, yeah, let's do
0: it. All right. Let's do it. Let's <laughs> do it. All right. The espresso round.
1: How many people are you looking to grow the business by in the next 12 months? Uh, We'd love to
0: kind of double or or more the size of our team, but we're talking 15 to 30 new people on board.
1: And what's the type of culture that you're trying to build there as a business?
0: I think open, inclusive. I think we're client-centric, client-focused while being conscious of building a sustainable business. I uh, a culture question might be that might not be so direct, but I'll 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 leave it there. I think look, we're we're willing to talk about the tough topics, and we're we're open and 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 listeners here more than
1: anything. Yeah. And do you think that's going to be a challenge to maintain that as you get bigger, as you do grow, as you do scale? Could that be? a
0: challenge? Yeah, I mean, look, the 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 culture changes, the culture shifts, and you, mm. you it evolves, right? And I think it's driven by the team and who you hire. I think everyone we've brought on has been incredible. Culture ads more than anything and I, and I think that's going to keep changing and evolving as we grow our team and 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 keep listening to to kind of what what the collective wants
1: one of those big challenges that the market's faced over the last couple of years it almost seems like a distant memory but the time where everybody used to work in an office 5 days a week and very much be present working remotely now or having a mixture between remote working, office working, hybrid approach. What do you see there? Do you see that as a challenge? Do you see that as an opportunity? How are you finding that?
0: I, I think it's a particularly an opportunity for startups that it can be nimble and work fully remotely. You get access to more talent. There's there's people realizing that if they don't want to go to an office, they don't have to. I think for us, the, the full remote option will always be on the table for anyone we look to hire. It's just we're not willing to miss out on that talent. But I think there's probably some hybrid future whether it's pockets of co-working where where we have a bigger contingents or or a headquarters where we can meet up frequently, I think there's there's a lot of value of being able to work in person and solve problems face to face. And so I think that's that's something that that the I think the best startups will take advantage of. But but the full remote option has to be on the table going forward. The way I see
1: it, absolutely. I, I think there's great opportunity for startups and scale up companies like yours following the pandemic because you know traditionally a lot of those startups probably working remotely anyway but now people have had that opportunity to work from home to work remotely maybe for a large company they might be a you know an aig or a travelers and so actually that that part of the move that perceived risk of moving to a smaller business, that the remote working part's no longer a, a, an issue. You know they're very much used to working in that space. So, so, I think that makes it more attractive and it helps people to bring in talent that maybe might have been more of a challenge previously. Would, yeah. In terms of the backgrounds of the people that you look to hire, do you look at people from the insurance industry, and what sort of value can someone who you know an experienced underwriter, an experienced pricing professional, what sort of value can they bring to your business?
0: No, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the it's essential to have the insurance expertise on board to build a profitable insurance product right um i think what we're what we're learning from the first wave of share tech and now looking at us maybe as the second wave is that uh, the the market's going to expect profitability and, and you want to build a profitable insurance product and i think that's where kind of bringing people with experience doing so um really br- makes all the difference from insurance product people um i think like just like you mentioned experience uh, underwriters i think we've been working with strong actuaries on, on kind of consulting at this point. Eventually, we'll want to build out our team there as well. But really... Also looking for people interested in kind of challenging the status quo a bit as well. Um, I think that there's a lot of cushy jobs that pay a lot of money in insurance. So it's not, the insurance professionals aren't the easiest to lure away from from some of those roles. And, and I think we're really bringing kind of a challenger mindset to here, kind of, again, a client-centric mindset. And and so a lot of people that come on board may have experience or kind of whether they're bilingual or, or just familiar with our market. Um, I, I think that that is... is of huge value as well. And then you have the kind of the overlap between the two, right? And, and I think again, kind of alluding to the diversity in insurance, but there isn't too many people that overlap with with intimate familiarity with our market and, and insurance and deep insurance expertise, given the the number of uh, kind of the the percentage of, of Latinos in, in insurance today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think also. Clearly the purpose-driven element of the business, really having that opportunity to expand the opportunity to make insurance more accessible to people i think is a great reason to get out of bed in the morning and to really push the business forward i think sometimes that could be a challenge maybe at some of the larger corporations where you're working on small little percentages around you know profitability of of a very large book of business so i think having that that purpose that mindset of actually you know really helping out certain sections of of society must be really great as well
0: I mean it's essential and uh, thanks for mentioning it because it's uh, definitely a glaring oversight but I think it's something our whole team shares I think it's it's kind of uh, it's table stakes at this point um, I think we're not necessarily all just looking for a job, but I think we're really fulfilling kind of a part of, of I, for me, it feels like fulfilling a, a purpose as well. Um, and so I, I think that's that's what a lot of our team finds in what, what we're doing. And I think that's also what we look for in, in people joining. But I, I think this, this kind of, again, opens up and becomes and, and evolves into the future because I, I think ultimately... People are certain people are looking for a job and, and, you, and you build and you build that for, for scaling and, and, and making sure that's that's inclusive and, and available for people as well. But um, but, yeah, I, I think that the purpose and, and what we're doing here is something that overlaps with everyone on the team and, and part of the reason we're here.
1: Thanks, Nessa. And yeah, final question of the espresso round, and you you mentioned scaling there. So what what do you think some of the infrastructure that needs to be in place, you know, if there's any co-founders or any founders listening to the show at the moment, they've got their business to a certain size, what are some of the foundations needed to then scale from there?
0: Yeah, I mean, at some point you turn from maybe solely focusing on growth to also managing a book. I think the name of the game in insurance is also retention. And then that's how you build profitability and build the seasoned book. And so I think as as we look at going from maybe uh, as we continue to scale, but look from scaling into the thousands rather than our first kind of tens of policies like we did where originally, um, I think obviously the needs change and, and you're managing a, an ongoing book. I think a lot of what we're building is, is a lot of the tools around that. I think very specific to our target, Customer. And so I think that varies. What what managing a book means varies depending on on the product. Uh, For us, that means a lot of automated endorsement tools and a lot of kind of Customer-friendly API-based kind of features, and I think that's kind of the the next level as as we look to to manage our and scale our growth. I think what we what we've shown in kind of our first MVP is that we that there's that there's market demand and that there's um, and that we built a platform that can scale without kind of an agent interaction. And so that's kind of what what I what I look at towards as, as the as the next challenge as we really look at our at our technology. I think the the demand for the products is is there and and really where we're, we're Looking how how to build and uh, for and how to reach the, the the massive market not not only in Texas but but beyond right I think we're we're talking about um, many states that have billions of dollars of premiums of of auto insurance and when when you look at immigrant and, and working class populations as well.
1: Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Nesta We've almost reached the end of our time today in the Insurance coffee house Time is certainly. Uh, flown by before you go though would you mind first of all giving us your your sort of one piece of advice for anyone who's thinking about starting up an insure tech start thinking about founding an insure tech what would be that one key piece of advice you'd have for them and also how would our listeners go about reaching out to you after the show
0: yeah yeah i'd say look the 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 top of of mind for me has been uh learn how to clearly communicate and tell the story I think it's not only important if you're an early insured tech that's going to scale with venture capital money. um, I think you're going to be able to have to tell a story to hire your team, which ultimately is going to become one of the most important, if not the most important part of your job as you scale is finding the right talent to replace what you're doing and scale you up and and level you up in in each of those competencies. Um, Storytelling is going to help you in in all those. And and then not just bringing on the team, but motivating, which which ultimately is going to become your job, right? And so I think that communication element is, is... is often easily overlooked. Um, but it's something that I always recommend. Make sure you're clear on and 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 practice and grow, grow kind of as a storyteller and as a communicator. I think that that helps uh, across the board. And look, I'm always always happy to speak with with other entrepreneurs, particularly. And maybe if I can sneak in a second piece of advice, the greatest leaps I've made in my business and the greatest unlocks have come from recommendations from other founders and learning from other founders and their businesses directly. I would highly recommend as as part of of the founder journey and starting a company try to get in touch with as many people that you can learn from as possible because that's that's been something that, that's unlocked a lot for me um and i'll and i'll spare spare some names but um please i i'm, I'm open to reach out on, on linkedin Nestor hugo Solari. Uh, you reach me on an email my my work email nester at Seguros. that's dot scom feel free to reach out directly I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to get back to to everybody um
1: in, in time for sure Thank you. That's that's absolutely brilliant. And yeah, that advice about the communication of your purpose of your story to all those different stakeholders, like you said, to investors and to the talent that you're looking to bring on board to obviously to customers as well. It's so important yeah. we see so many technology companies out there who, you know, it, it takes you half an hour to try and work out what they do and, and what the benefit is. And, you know, people don't have that much time these days to be able to, <laughs> to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, particularly if you're looking to hire and, and scale quickly i know that's a very key message the candidates want to know you know they, they want to understand very quickly what the business is around and, and what benefit and what value they can add to that organization so fantastic and we'll also be sure to share your contact details there on on our show notes so people can reach out to you great thank you for your time it's been brilliant to have you in the insurance coffee house today i'm sure our listeners would have gained a lot of valuable insights from what you've had to say so thank you for joining us a pleasure thank you to all the insurance and tech leaders out there, wherever you are listening around the world today, we thank you for tuning in. And I'm sure you would have gained a lot of valuable insights and learning from our guests today. If you did enjoy the show, please remember to download and subscribe to the pod to receive each one of our episodes directly into your app each week. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, or would like to learn more about the competitive advantage that podcasts can give to your business when attracting talent, please reach out to us at insurance-search.com or drop us a message on LinkedIn. Until next time, I've been Nick Hoadley. This has been the Insurance House Global insurance Tech Series. Take care.
0: You've been listening to the Insurance Coffeehouse with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time to hear more insights and inspiring success stories to help you become a better insurance business leader. Available to download or subscribe now.